0: You are now listening to the Bay Shore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today, and wherever you are listening, we hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Well, good morning, Enjoy everybody. Good, welcome to Bay Shore Rehoboth. Good to see you. If you're here for the first time and you're thinking, I'm Joel, you think, I thought he was younger than that? <laughs> This is Joel in 25 years, so right here. So, Anyhow, glad to see you guys. Glad you're here. And uh, love this campus. Love what you guys are doing. And uh, I'm just so thankful for all the volunteers here and everybody that's working so hard. And what about New Land? We have New Land in Rehoboth. Isn't that great? How many have been to Old Landing Road to look at the land? Have you been down there look at the land? I've been out there looking at it, riding around it, pulling on it, uh, walking on it. Just love the land uh, and just so excited about that. I have a tennis buddy I've been playing tennis with for 13 years. Been cheering the Lord with him and all that. And our new church is going right across from his house. It said, is this a sign from God or what? You're supposed to go to this church, so... But anyhow, I'm so excited about what is going on here, and uh, this is just such a great place. The environment here is amazing, amazing. and uh, you guys are just doing a great job. I just couldn't get over Lainey singing today, Lainey's vocalist. She did such a good job. Isn't that great? I don't know how old Lainey is, but that, like, she was, man, she was, she's got some pipes on her. I mean, it was amazing. So. Just awesome. So glad you're here, and uh, thankful for what the Lord's so doing in all of our campuses, and we're growing. Uh, Millsboro's growing. You guys are growing. Uh, Femmick Island's growing. Just a lot of great things are happening at Bayshore, and we're just so excited about that. And I wanted to give a big shout out to our media team. Give the media team a big hand. They uh, Every campus, we have great media people, and they do such a good job when they're just back there doing their things. So we appreciate you guys. Well, I'm going to do a little teaching this morning. I've been uh, teaching uh, at the Millsboro Femme campus. We've been doing, looking through First Peter since after Christmas, and uh, I just fell in love with this book. There's so much great stuff in it, and I'm just just getting changed by it. Uh, I got one more week to do it, uh, but uh, I want to look at a text this morning out of First Peter chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-five. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to talk about, hopefully, something relevant to you and look at this a little bit. Here's what it says. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25 says, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but those also who are harsh. By the way, slavery in the biblical day, had, it's not like racial slavery... Uh, There was no bankruptcy in that world. And if you got in bad debt, you ended up as a slave. And so that's what that's about, actually. Uh, Verse 19, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live to righteousness By his wounds we have been healed. So here's the deal. This book is about this. Just to give you a quick synopsis, it's about first century Christians that are living in what is now modern-day Turkey, and they are surrounded by people that don't believe like they believe. They are surrounded by unbelievers. They're in a very secular environment, and the environment that they are living in is hostile to them. And they're hostile to them for a couple reasons. First reason is, is they had quit worshiping the Roman gods. The other thing is, is they just lived differently. They didn't live like these immoral lives. Their lives were like a, a billboard of conviction for people. And so they were not very well liked. And so they were persecuted. So Peter writes to them to tell them, hey, listen, you're special. God's chosen you from the foundation of the world. Don't feel like you know, you're left out. God is with you. So he writes to encourage them. Now, the deal for us, we're not too much persecuted these days. I mean, we live in the Western world where we're allowed to worship and all that, so we don't get that part of it too much. There is some of that around, but it's not our deal too much. But all of us can relate to this. We can relate to being treated unfairly, being treated unjustly. Because in this situation, these Christians weren't doing anything wrong. They loved Jesus. They were following Jesus. They were living right. They were probably taking care of the poor. They were doing all these good things, but they were being persecuted. And so what they were doing was good, but they were getting evil in return. Now, I don't know if you've ever done anything in your life where you've been good to somebody, loving to somebody, supported to somebody, committed to somebody, and they didn't reciprocate. And you got back something bad while you were giving something good. That's called injustice. So what do you do in the world, what do you do in your life when your life is unfair? When there's injustice. And there is injustice in the world. Injustice is a part of life. It is a part of life. It's just like construction on 24 is a part of life. That is a part of life. (laughs) We've been doing construction on 24 for the last 60 years or so, but... That is life. That's 24. You're going to be treated unfairly. 19% of kids in school are bullied. Did you know that? I had a lady tell me recently, she said, uh, you know, her little boy is being bullied and she's been talking to the administration and going up the educational ladder concerned about her little boy being bullied. This little innocent kid being treated, you know, in a very negative fashion, 19%. 19%, 43% of that happens in the classroom itself while the teacher's there. So life is unfair to the little ones. Life is unfair to all of us. But the question is, how do you respond to injustice? How do you respond when you've been treated unfairly? How do you respond when you've been committed and loving to someone and they walk away? What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? I remember the first time I really experienced some injustice. I was in second grade. I was uh, going to Central Elementary School in Seaford. Delaware, a western side of the county, and I'm standing in line. We're coming in from recess, and I'm standing in line. And uh, we're uh, a little boy standing behind me, looks at me, and he sees a big mud puddle beside the line there. And he was thinking, Wow, this is an interesting combination here. We got Danny here, we got a mud puddle here. So this kid hurled me into the mud puddle. Head first, I went into my mom and dressed me in the cutest little blue shorts, and I looked so cute and all that, and now I'm covered with mud, and I go into the class, I'm sitting in my my desk, I'm crying, and there's mud caked on me, and there's water dripping on the floor, and they had to send me home in order, you know, for me, I had to get new clothes and all that. And so the next day at recess, I'm waiting for this little boy on the monkey bars, and he walks by, and I jump on him. And I beat him three ways, fast, hard, and continuously. And you know what? That little boy never bothered me again. True story, years later, I am called up for jury duty to Georgetown. I go to jury duty for Georgetown. And there is, they said, you know, they all ask you in that session, is there any reason you don't think you should serve? And I looked at ahead, and the judge was that little boy that pushed me in the mud puddle. <laughs> said, you're not going to get any justice in here. I can't serve in here, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's natural to kind of like be vengeful and retaliate. And that's okay when you're in second grade. You know, it's probably the right thing to do in second grade to set your boundaries, but you can't go through life that way. You can't live as an adult that way. You can't live in that way where every time you're wronged, you retaliate. And Peter says to these Christians that were being persecuted, that were being treated unfairly, he said, when you suffer, don't retaliate. When you're insulted, don't return the insult for the insult because Jesus didn't do that. And Jesus had all the power in the world to retaliate. You know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says when they came to confiscate Jesus, the uh, uh, soldiers from the temple, uh, Peter pulled out a sword and he sliced an ear off of one of the soldiers. And Jesus said, Peter, put the sword away. Don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels to protect me? A legion is 6,000. So he said, I could call 72,000 angels just like that, and they would take care of me and, and take care of my situation. Now, I think about this. What would you and I do if we had complete power, complete power to retaliate against our enemies? You turn them into a chihuahua, what would you do with those? But Jesus did not retaliate when he was being falsely accused and when he was not being treated fairly. So how do you respond and how do I respond in life when we are been, have been treated unjustly? Life is filled with injustice. There's injustice in the workplace. Sometimes people that should be promoted don't get promoted because of office politics, because of kind of the old crony system. Sometimes there's a, a wife that's been faithful to her husband, loving, serving, supported, and he runs off with Amber the cocktail waitress. Sometimes things that should not happen, you do good and you get bad back. That's injustice. And see, in our minds, we think this way. We think that we should always get good for good. When you do good, you should always get good back. If you plant squash seed, you should always get squash back. But sometimes you do do good and you don't get good back. And so in our mind, that really messes us up and we get angry about that. So if you let somebody in, you know, they're merging you know, in traffic and you let them in. And don't you feel really good when you do that? You feel like, you feel like I am a good person. I am amazing. You know, really, this is, I should be called St. Danny. You know, really, I'm, this is wonderful. But then they don't give you that obligatory wave. And you're like, what the world? What the world? You're on the horn. Like, where's my wave? I want my wave we have a tit-for-tat paradigm in our head that we should always get good back when we do good. But that is not reality. Sometimes it is true. And a lot of times when you do good and you're nice, you sow nice seeds, you'll get nice seeds back. But that is not a hard, fast reality. Because sometimes you can do good and you can be treated unfairly and unjustly. And so for some people, you know, there, I think there's two kinds of people in the world. I think there are what we call uh, Teflon people. Teflon things don't stick to them. You know, they are like, whatever. You know, whatever. And they're okay. They're cool. People can wrong them, run into their car, you know, key their car. They just, whatever. You know, they're good. They burn the house down. Well... Whatever you know, they were having a bad day. Whatever. <laughs> Karen, my wife is like that. She just these things don't bother her. She's just like whatever you know, except for me. But sometimes I can get to her. But anyhow, other than generally. But she just like whatever. It's okay. Then you got Velcro people. Velcro people, everything sticks to them. Little injustices, little slates. They they keep records. They got file cabinets in their mind (laughs) that are dated. And they are thinking about, man, I can't believe they did that to me in 1976. I can't believe that. And Velcro people are people that really, really have trouble with injustice. They always want to even the score they want to make sure that they get back at the people that haven't treated them right. Now, when it says in the text, you know, uh, that Jesus did not retaliate. Now, there's different kinds of retaliation. There's like physical retaliation. If somebody does something wrong to you, then you, you verbally say something back to them and you overtly tell them what you think or you do something to sabotage their life. That is overtly. But then there's covert Retaliation. Covert retaliation is when you keep a grudge inside, and when you see that person at the grocery store at Walmart, you treat them differently. You withhold your affection from them. They don't know what's going on, but something's wrong, and you are emotionally blackmailing them. You're retaliating against them, and that is... That is Uh, called passive-aggressive. I'm I'm not going to let you get close to me. I've got barbed wire around me. I'm not going to be nice to you because you haven't done what I expected you to do. That's retaliating. And everybody here has had that happen to them at some point in their life. Maybe you've done that to somebody. And because you've been hurt, you're sending a message, you hurt me, and I'm retaliating against you, and you're not going to get close to me. Good luck with that trying to get close with me. You know, Jesus said that when you, he said this in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, don't just love your enemies. Don't just greet your, or or don't just uh, love your friends and love the people that love you. Don't just love the people that are nice to you. He said, love and greet the people. Love and greet the people that are your enemies. So when you see your enemy at Walmart, and you run into them and they've done something to you and they cheated you in business or they've said something mean, Christianity doesn't go to this retaliation mode. Christianity is embraces and loves our enemies. So you're, hey, how are you doing? You talk to them. You shake their hand. You hug them. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. You know, uh, Karen and I, we used to have this dog dog. We had a lot of dogs, uh, but we had this dog, uh, Golden Lab, named Nick. Nick was, I think, one of Joel's favorite dogs. He loved Nick, and uh, Nick was a pretty dog, big old yellow lab. Nick was a sanguine personality. He just loved everybody. He just was always, he just was excited to see anybody, and when I would come home from Work and I would pull into the driveway. Nick would run from the backyard and put his paws up on the on the on the, on the windows of my car and lick on the car window. Just would couldn't wait to me, for me to get out of the car. When, car. He was so excited to see me. Always that way. Didn't matter what I did to Nick. I mean, he was just I could like. Bank him and do it. He just, Nick, just loved me. And I just think we need to be, just say, Jesus, help me to be more like Nick when I see my enemies. (laughs) Sometimes we're more like a Doberman when we see our enemies. You know what I mean? (laughs) So we don't retaliate. We don't retaliate against our enemies. We don't do it overtly. We don't do it covertly. But the issue is when we retaliate, It stymies our healing. We are retaliating because we're hurt inside, and when you're retaliating, you can't heal. You can't heal emotionally when you're emotionally blackmailing somebody. It's only when you give that up and say, Lord, it's not my job to make things fair in this world. It's not my job to promote justice. And it says in this text here that Jesus committed himself to who would be just. The Lord would take care of him. His Father would take care of him. They crucified Jesus. They put him in the grave. But God redeemed him, raised him from the dead. God took care of redeeming and making things just for Jesus. And God will make things just for you. It's not your job. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to put yourself in a good light because God will ultimately cause your enemies to see you having a table prepared before you. The Bible says in Psalm 23 that the Lord prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, He'll bless you even in front of your enemies. The people that despise you, the people that hate you, the people that don't like you, He will spread a table and He'll bless you. And so I say in my life, Lord, it's my, my job to defend myself. It's not my ma- job to, to protect myself because you will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My enemies will see me being blessed by you and that's all that really matters at the end of the day. So I want you to say this with me. It's not my job <laughs> to make injustice Right. It's not your job. You think about, you know, where it comes from. It comes from hurt. When we're hurt, when there's pain in our life, when somebody's disappointed us or we have some expectation, you know, all of us have expectations toward other people, uh, expectations that are unexpressed, and somebody doesn't fulfill our expectations and they let us down and we're hurt and we're, we're, we're wounded inside, out of that wound comes anger. That's where retaliation comes from. It comes from a wound. And you've got to say, Lord, you've come to heal the brokenhearted. I'm going to give up my energy. I'm not going to take my energy and use it toward retaliating against other people. I'm going to entrust myself to you that you're going to take care of me. And while you're, I've entrusted justice to you, I've entrusted you to make things right, I've put that in your hands, I'm going to let you heal my heart so I can function in life. So if you, I know people that they've gone through their whole life, their adult life, being mad at their exes. And it's, it's not helping you. You need to give that up and say, Lord, all the wrongs, all the things that were said that were not right, all the injustices, I give that to you so that I can heal in my heart. I was at a church one time and I talked to a, a pastor's wife and she was telling me she confided in, I think Karen and I, she said, she said, you know, I had a dream once, and she said, this is the dream that represents my life. She said, in the dream I saw a peacock with all the plumes and feathers and beautiful feathers kind of displayed, and at the root of the feathers I saw all these, all these welts and all these cuts and all these bruises. And she said, I am that peacock. I come to church and I look happy, I put on the face, but underneath I have all of these wounds, all these cuts, all these bruises, all these disappointments. And as long as we are holding on to our vengeance, holding on to the sense of injustice that we have gone through, it stops the healing process. So I have to say, Lord, I give that to you, I surrender that to you in order that you may bring grace to my heart and change me and give me the peace that I need. I just I think that's so liberating. So liberating to know that you don't have to feel like it's your job to fix this situation. And so here's the thing about this. You have to kind of think about, you know, how do you look at people in this world? How do you look at people in this world? Do you look at them like, you know, boy, we're going to even the score, or I'm going to send the message to you. You know, I, I was watching I Love Raymond the other night, Karen and I, and uh, Deborah, who plays the wife of Ray Romano in the show, was mad at him for something. And so he kissed her, and it was she didn't respond at all. And he, sa- and she- he said, that kiss was so cold, if you opened your mouth, the light would come on. like a refrigerator. You open the mouth, your light's going to come on. You are so cold. And sending that message, sending that message that you have not treated me fairly. So here's the thing. First of all, when you think about the sense of injustice that you go through, think about this idea. What are the people that are treating you unfairly like? What are they going through? What makes them act the way they act? What makes them respond the way they respond? What makes them treat you the way they treat you. And, you know, Rick Warren, I think Rick Warren said it. Nobody knows for sure who said it. Hurt people hurt people. Abuse people abuse people. And so when I have somebody that's like, not treating me right or whatever, and you go through that thing that we all go through, and you, you want to respond, you want to get angry, or you want to you know, resi- re- retaliate in some way. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that when you retaliate against someone, it, it escalates the problem. It escalates the problem. When I learned to play tennis, uh, when I started playing tennis, I lived in, uh, my dad was a Methodist pastor over in Blades, Delaware's little tiny town over there near Seaford, and uh, and I, on on the weekends I would walk up to the Wilmington Bank, Wilmington Trust Bank, and the parking lot was empty, and I would uh, take out a bag of tennis balls and I would hit my tennis balls against the brick wall, and uh, best player I ever played that uh, ball, wall never missed that ball, and here's what I learned: could never beat the wall, but. Here's what I learned. The harder I hit the ball, the harder it came back. And that's why the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. So when you retaliate, you escalate the problem. And I think Christians are called to be the great shock absorbers in this world. That we don't retaliate. You know, there's a place for setting boundaries. If you're a Henry Cloud fan, I've read of all of Henry Cloud's books, or a lot of them, not all of them probably, but you know, there's a place to set boundaries. There's a place for law enforcement. There's a place for lawyers and all that stuff. All that's a part of the world we live in. But as far as how we operate from our heart, we have to operate from a, a position where we are not retaliating against our enemies. So you live a different mindset. So think about this. What is going on in the person's life that's treating me the way they're treating me? Is there something going on? They have a story. Every angry, hurtful person has a story. And if you stop to think, listen, this is coming out of their own narrative. This is coming out of their own story. It's not really all about me. It's about their own narrative. It's about their own story. So when you contextualize that and you look at it and you put it in a frame where you look at it in their life and their life story, it helps you not to be as angry or frustrated at them. Stephen Covey, his book Seven Habits of Effective People. How many have read that book? Anybody read that read that book? If, if you you know, it's a great book and it's great stuff. You know, begin with the end in mind, and all that stuff. But there's a story in the book that's riveting to me. I've never forgotten the story. The story is he, he's, Stephen Covey is on a subway on Sunday morning and in New York City. He's, he's sitting there trying to read his paper, and the door opens, and a man walks in with two children. And the man sits down beside him, and he leans his head back against the subway, and closes his eyes, and the kids are running around the subway car, and they're throwing things and they're being noisy, and they're disrupting people. They're even hitting the papers of some of the people that are trying to read. And Stephen Covey says he turned and he looked at the man. He said, Sir, is there any way you could restrain your children because they're really bothering a lot of people? And the man like got out of a doze and he said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. And I don't know how to handle it and they don't know how to handle it, and we're just trying to work this out. And Stephen Covey says that Matt, at that moment, he turned and looked at the man and he said, I'm so sorry, and what can I do? And his whole view of the man changed because he understood the story behind the man's behavior. So when you understand the story behind the person that's giving you a hard time, it gives you more grace for that person. Let me just, how about if you just say this with me? Just say this with me right now. Everybody, Everybody is messed up, is messed up in, in, some in some way. That's why, That's why they, act they act the way they, way they do. Isn't that helpful? I just, when somebody's like really mean or whatever, you know, I say, wow, they've just got a messed up story. So we need to learn to, to give grace to people to be like Jesus. Jesus was. You know, they, never, he wasn't fighting back against Pilate in the trial. He wasn't fighting back against Herod. He, was, he, he entrusted himself to his heavenly father. And he did not feel the need, and he was not compelled to defend himself. But he gave himself to his father, who would take care of him and protect him. And when you feel like you've been abandoned and you're angry about that, and you're living in this paradigm of anger, you're living in this paradigm of frustration, and it's operating your life, it's controlling your life, you have to entrust that to the Lord so you can begin to heal. And you just have to say, Lord, you're going to have to take care of that situation. And the Lord is going to do that and take care of you. I read this, uh, lady, this lady in our church, at Island, uh, Diane, Diane, uh, Diane Taka, she, her and John go to Femmick Island. She sent me, well, she didn't send me this. I saw this on Facebook the other day, and uh, she, she put this on there, and I, I, I said, Diane, can I share that in the story, in the sermon this week? It's really interesting. But she wrote this, you know, Diane Taka. She, I think we have a picture of her somewhere, but she's a sweet lady. And um, here's what she said. She said, I went to Giant to pick up a few things. I'm waiting in the self-checkout line, and I went to Giant to pick up a few things, Uh, and I dropped a $20 bill. Yep, that's me trying to hold everything because I didn't want to get a cart. The lady in front of me picked it up. I thanked her and held up my hand, and she said, the things found on earth are kept by the collector and walks away. I was like, oh no. I looked at the person behind me standing in line. They couldn't believe it either. This can't be real right now, can it? So I took a deep breath and turned my back toward the lady thief or whatever you want to call her. And as I approached her, I said, do I look like I'm in the mood? Let's not play games. Go ahead and give me back my money. So she had the nerve to ignore me completely, and I tried to walk away and tried to walk away from me. So, of course, I left everything and followed her in the parking lot as I was calling the police because, of course, somebody's about to go to jail, not sure who was going to be her or me. She was almost running at this point to get away from me, which was the first sign of real intelligence this lady had shown. When she got to her car, she put her bags on the ground, trying to quickly get her trunk open. I was bowling at this point. I decided that her finder's keeper's rule just presented a perfect opportunity for the teachable moment. So I went into track star mode, grabbed her grocery bags, and headed to my car yelling, the things found on earth are kept by the collector. I hopped in my car, ignoring her every attempt to get my attention. I was out of line, I admit, but she was too. I was hot, but I had a sense of satisfaction at the same time. Let me say this. Anyone who knows me knows that as an adult, this is not completely out of character for me, but anyway, (laughs) I get home and open the bags, and what did I find? Three packs of ribeye steaks, three pounds of wild-caught salmon, two pounds of vegetables, Everything to make a bomb salad and a decent-sized bottle of whiskey. I can't help but think to myself, well, not bad for $20. (laughs) (laughs) Then I read the end. She said, in all seriousness, this is just a joke. I wanted to see if you'd read the entire post, but anyhow. (laughs) I, I get that. I relate to that. And we're like, go, go, Diane, you know? Well, when you think about, you know, getting, getting even and be it the overt method, like Diane, or the covert method, like something's wrong, I'm going to emotionally freeze you out. Whatever form of retaliation you or I engage in, it stops our heart from healing. We've got to heal and we've got to move on with life because God has your back. The Lord has your back. He's going to watch over you, He's going to take care of you. And if you're here today and you're a Velcro person and you feel like, man, I tell you what, I got like my list is so long of how many people I am angry at and that I can't forgive and I'm upset with it. If you've got that long list in your mind and you think, how can I ever do this? How can I ever forgive? Another, how can I forgive the person that's been so unfair to me? You think about it all the time. You've got a voodoo doll in your head, an imaginary voodoo doll of them in your head, and you're poking them with, with, with pins all during the day because you're so obsessed with them. That's not good for you. you got to get rid of that. you got to say, Lord, I surrender this person to you. I surrender this person to you. And... God's grace is sufficient for you. Now, here's the thing. Whenever you've been treated unfairly, whenever you've been treated unjustly, God gives you the grace to not take vengeance. It's with you. It says in Hebrews twelve fifteen: See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no root of bitterness grows up in you to defile many. In other words, that means when you have been offended and you've been hurt, at the moment of the offense, at that same moment, God gives you grace to forgive your offender. And when you don't forgive your offender, and you go on this vengeful mind game thing, it stymies your healing, and you have pushed away the grace of God. So when you're offended, and when someone's hurt you, someone's abandoned you, you were counting on them to be there for the rest of your life and they weren't there. At that moment, God gives you grace for that moment to forgive them and let them go. The other day, I, was, uh, I came home from uh, somewhere and I came, uh, pulled in the yard there and my Tacoma pickup, the kind of vehicle Jesus would drive if he was on the earth today. So... I pulled in there, and I went into my pole barn. I got this pole barn where I keep my truck. I think we got a picture of my pole barn here. And uh, this pole barn, I love this pole barn. I got all my, my, my lawn equipment in there, my kayaks in there, my fishing stuff's in there. I, got, I just love this pole barn. I know a lot of you live in neighborhoods that if you had a pole barn, you would get a life sentence from the HOA. But I live in one of those places where you can have one of those. And I pulled in. As I pulled in, I recognized that there was a bird They'd gotten in the pole barn and is You know how birds get caught in a building they can't get out? That bird's flying around in the pole barn. And I'm thinking, man, that's what's going to happen here? The bird's going to be in here and my pickup's going to be in here and the bird may do something on my pickup. And I thought, what am I... I don't know what to do exactly. And I was just going to close the door and try to figure it out later. And then I thought, why don't I leave the door open? Just leave the door open all day and maybe the bird will find its way out. And sure enough, I went later to get my truck and the bird had found its way out and was not in the pole barn anymore. And in our relationship with the people, we need to leave the door open so they can find their way out of the conflict that they're in with us. If we say, Lord, I'm going to shut the door on this person, I'm going to write them off, There's no hope for them. Slam the door. That's not the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is we leave the door open. And we say, Lord, move on their heart. Show them the way out. And I want to be a person that expresses grace to them. Every one of us here today, some of us more than others, you got those wounds. you got those disappointments. You've got people that have let you down. People that have not been there for you. People that you had expectations of and they have not met your expectations. This is a day to say, Lord, I'm going to leave the door open. I'm going to let you deal with them. I'm going to let you take care of that. And I'm going to rid my heart of vengeance. Because here's what the text says. We'll close with reading the text. Here's what it says. I love it. It says, when they hurled, verse 23 of 1 Peter 2, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Let's lift our hands to the Lord all over this place, and let's entrust to the Lord, the injustices in our life, the unfair moments in our life. There's some of you it has been at work. You've been not treated equitably. You deserved the promotion. You deserved the raise. But because of something, you didn't get that. Some of you stayed with him, stayed with him, stayed with him, and served and served and loved, and he didn't follow through. Lord, whatever our injustice is, we thank you that, when we look at You, the perfect One who never sinned in word, thought, or deed, that You were the One, the perfect One, and yet You experienced injustice, but Your Father in Heaven raised You from the dead, and You had the last word as the glory of the Father lifted You up out of that grave. And You're going to redeem us, take care of us. I speak Your blessing over this crowd today, Lord, these people that are here, the people that are watching online, and I want to ask you to pray with me right now, just pray this out loud with me, just say, Lord Jesus, I empty my heart of anger today, I lift up my hands without wrath, without anger, and I entrust my life to you, you're going to take care of me, and you're going to watch over me. Jesus' name, amen and amen amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.